morning. This is Peter John. Welcome to Rogue Grace. And you are invited to come join us tonight at 7 o'clock for our midweek Bible study. It's interesting, as you know, there in the book of Acts, it says that Peter and John, great two names, by the way, they made their way to the temple to pray at that that hour in which they healed that that man who was crippled, if you remember there in the book of Acts, in chapter 3. And it's interesting because it says that they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer or the ninth hour, which would be about 3 p.m. our time, Pacific time. (laughs) And there was a man who was lame from birth, lay daily at the gate of the temple. But as they were getting or going to the, the temple to pray, it reminds me that it's important to come to the house of prayer. Jesus said about the temple, this is to be my father's house is a house of prayer. See, when we're by ourselves or when we're at work or when we're at home, we can pray and we do pray and we should pray and we get to pray. But there's something to be said about coming to the the temple. That is not really a temple. We are a temple, you and I. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's something to be said about coming together to church. And like Peter and John did at that 9 o'clock hour or that 3 p.m. hour, There's blessing, there's miracles, there's grace that is given. God puts his stamp of approval on their coming to the temple. I like that because um, they could have taken the mindset, well, we don't need the temple anymore. That's Old Testament. That's Judaism. No, they were still going to the temple and God puts his stamp of approval, so to speak, when they interact with this man who is born lame from birth and they heal him miraculously. So they're still believing, they're still looking at coming to a central location to gather together. So I, I really believe God heals us. I believe that he does miracles because we come to the church, whether it's Applegate or whatever church it is that you go to that loves Jesus and worships him. Um, I think that there's something dynamic. There is a, a special blessing for us. And so when we're feeling lame, when we're we're feeling crippled or paralyzed by life or problems. They're at the house of the Lord. 
there's healing. There's, there's lifting up again. I mean, how many times do you go to church on Sunday? Do you go to church on Wednesday night? Maybe. I mean, how many times over the last 20 years have I felt down, you know, lame and yet I go to church and by the end of the time, I'm back on my feet again. So that might be you tonight. Come on out. We'll be right back.
and welcome back. They're about to go into their Pentecostal mode there, it sounds like. Nothing wrong with that, but uh, uh, time to move on. Great song, though. Uh, this is Peter John. Welcome to uh, our program for the day. Inviting you again to come out tonight at uh, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary at the Applegate Fellowship. Um, this Sunday, don't forget, 1030 outside. Yep, we're going to be gathering in the amphitheater as we have been doing for, I don't know, 20-something years. I mean, at least more than that. 30-something years? Anyways, a lot of years. And people are going to get saved and baptized. And that's cool because it means that we're doing more than just a social gathering, huh? Or getting good advice, huh? Sometimes I wonder if that's all that churches are sometimes some churches maybe it's good social hour or getting good advice but are people getting saved and brought into the kingdom well pray if you would that on sunday there will be those who get baptized just as the new testament tells us to do and experience the regeneration, the washing away of their, their sin and their shortcoming. You know, I pray for that, will you? Could you, could you, would you? Maybe um, even today, maybe even right now, and, and during the course of the rest of this week, would you pray that people would respond to the message of the gospel and come down and get baptized and give their lives, their hearts to the Lord. And maybe you know someone that you would like to see baptized um, or at least given the invitation or the opportunity to get baptized, then um, bring them, invite them, say, hey, come on out. After all, there's free burgers, so that might entice them as well. But they're going to hear the gospel, you know. They're going to hear the message of salvation. And all of us, even you, you, you're already saved, right? Well, we're all going to be able to respond to the message of salvation through praise and worship together. So that'll be great. It always is when we gather in the name of the Lord. The ark that Noah built. Do people wonder or ask how could he fit every kind of animal that is land animal on that ark. Well, if a train 
carried all the animals. It would be 150 cars, according to those who would crunch those numbers, you know? And so if you look at it that way, the dimensions of the ark that are given to us in the book of Genesis are equivalent to 522 cars, railroad cars, train cars. So 522 that, in other words, there's, if, if, if all it needed is 150 and the arc is equivalent to 522, more than enough space. And there's always more space. So invite people into the kingdom. See, you got to give them room for sure. I, I, I'm personally against a religion or a Christianity that seeks to micromanage you can watch this. You can't do that. You can do this. You can't say that. You can wear this, but you can't wear that. Unless it's expressly or specifically spoken of in the New Testament. I don't I, I just don't like all kinds of rules. Not not that I want not that I'm Mr. Party Animal. I'm anything but that. But but my point is that there are different people with different personalities and different inclinations and uh and I don't like I don't like the Christianity that's basically the Old Testament reincarnated. Um I like it when there's plenty of room. You know, whether you're of a liturgical ilk or a casual fan, not a fan, a casual uh, uh, dressed person, uh, whatever it might be, um, the ark was big. There was more than enough space. And if a person believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God who has risen from the dead, there's room, there's space. So let's give each other space and let's invite people into the kingdom without seeking to micromanage them. I, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with that and give them space. Even people that are baptized. We shouldn't sell them. You know what? You're saved by grace alone. And then once they sign their name or are baptized, so to speak, then all of a sudden, now we got some rules for you. That's too typical of Christianity from what I have seen. No. The same grace that brought us in to the kingdom is the same grace that's going to see us all the way through. There's plenty of room. 
never forget when you took my sin, we just heard. You know why? Do this in remembrance of me. When we take and eat of the communion that Jesus gave to us, the body and the blood, we never forget that he took our sin, that he loves us. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel spoke to the priests and the prophets of, of Israel. Though Ezekiel was himself in Babylon, listen to what he says about these guys who were in Jerusalem in Israel. He says, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, and you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore, you shall no more see false visions or practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. That was the word to the prophets and the priests during Ezekiel's day. Look at what God says to them. You have disheartened the righteous. I, I don't want to be a kind of preacher, pastor, or a Christian that disheartens the righteous falsely. That's, that's not what I want to do. And the, the problem was, and he says, you have encouraged the wicked. So they're indicting the righteous and they're encouraging the wicked. I think that perhaps very often what we think and who we think is righteous and what we think and who we think is wicked is opposite of what God sees and knows. Even in the ministry. I wonder how often as preachers and pastors and, and uh, elders, we are looking at things and calling them wicked when God says they, they're not wicked. And we are looking at and calling things righteous when God says they're not righteous. Just like the prophets and the priests in the day of Ezekiel. I want, that's why I love to read the Bible. <laughs> Whether it's Ezekiel, the book of Genesis, or the gospel of Mark. Because I want to see how God sees things more clearly and how God views you and I or people so that I don't dishearten the righteous and encourage the wicked. And then Ezekiel goes on to say, God says to him, uh, he says to them, uh, even if the people 
such as, and he gives us three examples, Noah, Daniel, and Job. God gives those three examples. He names them. He says, even they were righteous, but they would not and could not save this people. Beautiful. Because we have not just Noah, Daniel, and Job, but unlike Ezekiel, we have Christ Jesus, who is the one being that can make us righteous. Your pastor can't. Your parents can't. Your priest can't. You might think they're righteous, but they cannot make you righteous. Just like in Ezekiel's day, there is one who can. Our great high priest. He is such a great high priest because he doesn't just establish his own righteousness. As God said about Noah, Daniel, and Job, but he is able to also robe you and I in righteousness. That's why Jesus is the hero. You know, when you read the stories, let's say of Noah or of Job, um, of David, of Esther, when you read the stories of these people in the Old Testament And then even in the book of Acts with Peter or with uh, James, you find, contrary to popular opinion, the Bible is not a book about good guys and bad guys or good people and bad people. Because... Anyone's story, when you read it in the scripture, with the possible exception of Daniel, but that's another discussion. But anyone's story in the scripture, you find out before long, whether it's Job or who else, they've got issues, shortcomings, i.e. sin, just like I do. In fact, when you read about Abraham, you think, I'm not even that bad. <laughs> and yet he's one of the greatest men who ever lived. Or Noah getting smashed and drunk and naked in his tent. Whatever it might be. So the Bible isn't a story of good guys versus bad guys so much. No, it's not good guys and bad guys. When you read the entire Bible, you come to the conclusion it's a story of one good man. One perfect man, Jesus the Christ, who saves us so that now we're no longer bad, but in him we're good. So read the Bible that way. By doing so, you're reading through the prism or the lens of the gospel, and that's why it's called Good News.
A segment or two ago, I mentioned the ark that Noah built, which is a different word than the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant, that sacred box that is found in the Holy of Holies in the temple in the Old Testament, that word ark literally means uh, a coffin which is interesting but the different word used for the ark in Noah's time than the ark of the covenant and when it says that Noah and his family were in that ark you, you might know this it says after they got in and all the animals it says that the Lord shut him in I love that. It's interesting because when Noah was building the ark and God was giving him instructions and dimensions, it always says God, 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 until he got in the ark. And then it says the Lord shut him in. So God or Elohim gave him the instruction, but Yahweh, the Lord, shut the door. And Elohim, God, he gives us instruction and commandments and it's pure and they're good and they're holy, but it's Yahweh who encloses you in the ark of salvation. 
He shuts the door. Not you. He does. Yahweh. That's the covenant keeping God that shuts the door and keeps you saved. God shuts the door. Even if Noah wanted, he couldn't get out. If you're saved, if you're truly a child of God, if you're in his covenant, he shuts the door, so to speak, even if you wanted to, you couldn't get out. Because you see, if you wanted to, then you don't belong to him. But because he has you, you're never going to even want to get out. I love that. It says, and Yahweh shut Noah in. God, Elohim, gives him instructions. Yahweh kept him in the ark. The name Jesus in the Hebrew literally is Yahweh is salvation. I love that. It's not, his name isn't Yahweh shows salvation because it's more than that. Yahweh is salvation. It, not even Yahweh gives salvation. It, as beautiful as that would have been, even better, Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation. He is our ark. He is the one who opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open and keeps us in the ark of salvation. Jesus, we bless you and praise you for being our salvation. You are our salvation. All honor and glory be to yours today as in every day. But what we have now is today and we give you the thanks and the praise for not just showing us, not even just giving to us, but being our salvation. There is no one like you.
While the four Gospels conclude with Jesus's ascension, well, three of them do, with Jesus's ascension into heaven, the book of Acts begins with his ascension into heaven. So where the Gospels leave off, the book of Acts begins with Jesus leaving his disciples. I, I like the fact that on, in his ascension, Jesus left. Why am I glad? Well, because in his other teachings in the Gospel of John and elsewhere, he is saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, behold, I am with you. When you, when it, when you see that word behold, it's always like, pay attention. He doesn't say, obviously, I am always with you. He says, behold, and not with you, not singular, but that's a plural word. In other words, behold, I am with you all to the end of the age. As Bill Wobaggins once said, or somebody along those lines in his book, <laughs> everything that is sad will come untrue. But he didn't say, Jesus didn't say to his disciples, to his followers, well, if it's going to get done, it's up to me. I'll do it myself. No, he trusted a perfect gospel message with an imperfect people, like his disciples, like his followers, like you and I. And so there in the book of Acts, when he leaves, he's ascending into heaven. First, the disciples ask him the question before he leaves them. They ask him, so when will you establish the kingdom of God? The one that's promised to us in the law of Moses, in the life of Abraham. When will you establish it? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. It's none of your business when it will be established on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of, boy, that's, that's, that's deep. It really is. But he says, he answers them, it's not for you to know, but you will be my witnesses. So they ask him, the disciples, when will you? And Jesus responds by saying, you will be my witnesses. They're asking basically, Lord, what are you going to do today? And he responds, basically, you will. Not in your own power, of course. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. So we have this Holy Spirit that's closer 
than even if Jesus was here because the Holy Spirit is in us. And then Jesus says, by that power, you will. Don't just say, God, when will you? He is saying, you will. Pretty cool. It's it's kind of fun to read the Bible as a Christian because we see the work is finished. And yet at the same time, there's so much work still to be done. How can they both be true? You will be my witnesses. Thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. We'll be in the book of Isaiah. So join us in the sanctuary at seven o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he keep you in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ and vice versa in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May he keep you pure, keep you out of sin, keep you in his embrace. May he keep you in his grace. This is Peter John. Talk to you tomorrow.